You're listening to The Group Sessions, a podcast that bridges the gap between informed public health and healthy mental hygiene. My name is Rob, and I'm a certified mental health life coach and master NLP practitioner. I'm best known for my publications and social media content, as well as individual counseling. Join me on this therapeutic journey while we analyze and overcome issues impacting our mental well-being. Welcome and welcome back to group. As always, I want to thank you guys for tuning in. Today's episode is a listener request about how to handle the aftermath of co-parenting with a toxic and controlling ex-partner. Our focus today is going to be on Stockholm Syndrome. We're going to talk about what it is and we're going to talk about where it comes from as well as how to recover from it. So to anyone who's ever felt guilty about escaping an abusive relationship or leaving someone behind, this episode is especially for you. But as with all our sessions, there's something in this lesson for everybody. When you're here at Group, no one has to heal alone. All of our active listeners are part of our safe space and our community and we share in each other's journey. Before we jump into today's session, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and turn those notifications on for the group sessions wherever you're listening from. We're actually on, we're officially on like every, literally every <laughs> platform. We're on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, um, Radio Republic, uh, you name it. Uh, we're actually on a few platforms in India. I told you guys that I was going to work on getting that done. And we're also on a few platforms that are exclusive to London. So we are literally everywhere. If there is a space that we're not, just hit me up and I will make sure that I get the podcast listed in that directory as well. But as of now, you can literally tune in anywhere. We actually just submitted our podcast to Samsung Podcast. I didn't even know Samsung had podcasts. <laughs> I didn't even know Samsung had podcast, but we put it there. Um, we, we just really want to make sure that this is literally available to anyone. Anyone can open any platform, Google podcast as well. Anyone can open any platform that you're wherever you're listening to your podcast at. This is a show that you'll be able to access. So you don't have to only share it with friends who are using the same exact platform that you're using. So make sure that you turn those notifications on. That actually goes a really long way, especially right now. I'm working on a lot of other projects and I'm working on fundraising for new recording equipment. So my goal is $200 so that I can get some headphones um, and a different microphone that captures my voice in a better quality without having so much background noise, which for a lot of you guys listening, you're probably thinking, okay, Rob, your, your voice sounds fine and the audio quality is fine, but I do want the quality to be even better. But I want to get that quality without having to do a, mu a bunch of edits to the show because I really like having an organic sounding show. I like having a regular feel to it. I like that when you listening, when you're listening to the group sessions, you feel like you're in a session with me. I like it to kind of be as clear and as, you know, polished that as it's going to be at the time of recording versus running it through like pro filters and editing and stuff like that. So, yeah, my goal is 200. The microphone that I want, it works really well with my natural speaking pattern as well as the registry of my voice with my um, environment too, because I'm, as I'm dipping and dabbling into recording, I'm learning that your physical environment plays a really big part in the type of microphone that you should use. So yeah, I don't have a space yet or an official studio that's sound treated. Based on what I have, I found the microphone that 
is going to work for me. The microphone itself is $100, um, but I do want to make sure that I have a proper um, microphone arm to suspend it. I have one now, but I want something a little bit better and a little bit more sturdy. Uh, that makes a big difference in the sound as well. Right now, like if I'm t like, for example, this is me tapping the table. So if I just tap the table that the microphone is mounted on, you can hear like a reverb going through all of the metal within the arm into the actual microphone mechanics that I'm using. And I'm actually on a very expensive microphone. <laughs> it's just not a microphone that's good for me. It's just not a microphone that's good for me. And at yeah, so I just I need something that's good for me, that's satisfied for me. And um, I'm also going to get some headphones because I need to hear how I sound while I'm recording because that's going to help me not do a bunch of edits in post-production. And right now I have some decent headphones right now, but I've had them for over 10 years. They're not anything spectacular. And I want something that's going to isolate sound a lot better because once one of the things that I struggle with is that I'll record and the way I hear myself is not the same way that I hear it when I'm not plugged into the microphone or plugged into my headphones or if I play it on a speaker or if I play it in the car. And I want to hear it the way that the audience is going to hear it so that I can know how to make adjustments without editing the actual track. So that's pretty much what I'm fundraising for to keep up with my other projects as well as oh, see, I just did it again <laughs> to keep up with my other projects as well as see how you can support my goals and my business. Head over to my Instagram page at Robert St. Michael. You want to spell it out r-o-b-e-r-t-s-a-i-n-t-m-i-c-h-a-e-l and for booking speaking engagements and individual sessions you can just hit me up or check out the website robertstmichael.com okay so let's go ahead and jump into today's focus which is stockholm syndrome so um, let's talk about what it is stockholm syndrome is actually an emotional response it happens when some abused and hostage victims have positive feelings towards their abuser or captive. This isn't really considered an actual diagnosis, but it's a profile of emotional responses and behaviors that we can understand on a level of how this is packaged and how we can help like treat it ultimately. The term was introduced back in 1973 when there were some hostages taken during a bank robbery in Stockholm, Sweden. Okay. And these people were held in this bank robbery as captives for a total of five days. Y'all, this was a five day bank robbery. And these people were held as hostages for five days. Okay. I don't know if you can even imagine being kidnapped. I hope that you can. I hope that you've never experienced that. But that's a, that's a that's a that's a lot. And after they were finally released, the prisoners had bonded with their captors and showed extreme levels of empathy and remorse as if they were acting in the best interest of the captors. As a result, the people didn't testify. They didn't press any charges. None of that took place. So let me. Let me go ahead and just break that down for you. When you look at this type of a scenario, and this is a this is a really good um, metaphor to understand the process of being in an abusive or controlling or even a, a dangerously toxic relationship with somebody and getting out of it. 
when you look at this scenario, you can see that there are very key dynamics that must have taken place in this uh, in this robbery. Number one, it's better to be an ally than an afterthought. And what I mean by that is that when you are in a situation where you're you're worried about your life, you're, you're at a threat level 10, like the highest threat level 10. It makes more sense to try to like reverse gaslight almost like try to convince this person that could kill you at any moment, trying to convince them that you're on their side. It makes it so that you're introducing a new feeling into this kidnapper in the hopes that if they are going to kill someone, they're not going to choose you first. And this is how that type of a defense mechanism can work to avoid further harm or further threat. And it's not just a trick on the mind of the kidnapper, it's also a trick on the mind of the victim because this is more like a instinctive reaction. There's not a lot of thought that goes into this reaction, you know what I mean? And so if you're just in that situation and you're worried about your actual life and you you realize that it's helpful or or it's like saving you time or stalling for you to do things and say things to convince this person that you're on their side as a means of self-preservation, your mind is going to start to believe those things because living in that reality is safer than living in your current situation. The next thing that I want to look at in terms of this dynamic with this hostage situation as it pertains to escaping abusive relationship or being in abusive relationships in the moment is humanizing the danger humanizing the abuser humanizing the danger is another way to cope um it's like if you look at this situation with the bank just like in abusive relationships the victim begins to kind of soothe themselves by looking for humanity in their victimizer and this is a form of convincing yourself that you're safe and that things are predictable to the extent that you can avoid pressing the wrong buttons so this kind of goes along with that idea of it's better to be ally of a threat than an afterthought you know and then the last thing i want to zero in on with this situation as it pertains to abusive relationships is when you are stuck in a in a room with someone who is very explosive prone to violence prone to abuse you do see them in their truest form you also see their highs and lows you see the things that trigger them you see the things that bother them you see their insecurities, you see their vulnerabilities, you see their hopes, their dreams, you get to actually see a part of this person that completes the puzzle. And due to you always being at potential threat, you're actually becoming hypervigilant. So what hypervigilance is, is basically a heightened sensitivity. You're super, super, super aware. And the reason why people become hypervigilant and hypervigilant in abusive situations is because that's a mean of survival as well. You need to know where perceived threats are. You need to know who's standing over here. You need to know who's standing over there. You need to know who's standing behind you. You need to pay attention to people's face expressions to notice when people are starting to get angry. You need to see when people are getting aroused. You need to see when people are ready to react. You need to see where their hands are. If their hands are by their side, if they're by the table, are they pacing? So all of this hypervigilance actually allows you in the moment to retain a lot of information 
will not retain, but absorb a lot of information. And with that, you begin to analyze and become curious about the empathetic side of this person's story. Stockholm syndrome itself, like I said, is not a psychological diagnosis, but it's something that really plays a heavy part in framing how we are responding to repeated cycles of threat, repeated cycles of danger. The thing about Stockholm syndrome like for what it is outside of the context of um, relationships. And we're just talking about this situation that actually happened in Stockholm, Sweden, right? We see that there was a bond that grew between the victims and the captors. And this can lead to kinder treatment and less harm from the abuser as they might, as they might, you're thinking as the victim that this abuser is also experiencing this bond. And so you're just trying to get on this person's good side. You're just trying to be in this good, in this person's accolades and like we talked about earlier when you start to project that type of you know that's a that's an example of gaslight as well but you're projecting these ideas that that you want someone else to accept you start to accept them on your own so what comes out of someone who is experiencing stockholm syndrome is love sympathy empathy and most importantly the desire to protect them I think the desire to protect is probably the biggest hallmark when it comes to Stockholm syndrome because that really does set the set the stage for how people are really reacting coming out of abusive or kidnapping types of situations or hostage mentalities and things like that. The desire to protect is the most unusual of 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 those things. I don't think it's unusual to have love, sympathy and empathy for anybody, but being willing to put yourself at further risk for the sake of protecting your victimizer really is what kind of staples that term for me. Now, with that, Stockholm Syndrome might also cause the hostage to have negative feelings towards the police or anybody that tries to rescue them. So let's take a look at that in terms of parallels in abusive relationships, right? When you are dealing with someone who is an abuser, there's typically about seven phases and uh, rotations that you're going to experience on your end. One is the gaslighting. The gaslighting is the manipulation and making you think that something's wrong with you, right? But then the next one is isolating you from your loved ones. After that is using insulting language, then there's yelling, then there's shifting blame, then there's acting really jealous, and then there's outbursts of unpredictable anger. But let's focus on the first, the first two being the gaslighting and the isolation from loved ones, right? So as you can see in this bank situation, because of the emotions that were processed by the people who were kidnapped, they had a genuine reaction to wanting to distance or tear down anyone that was going against their victimizer. They felt like they had a truth that other people did not have or they saw something that other people did not see. When it comes to abusive relationships, that is actually a mission of the abuser in the beginning manipulating you into thinking that way and making sure that you are on board with isolating yourself from people who are trying to help you to the point where you get to a space where it's like anyone that speaks or acts against this partner is no you you don't see them as on your side anymore i can tell you from personal experience when it comes to trying to pull someone out of an abusive situation it's really difficult to do that um i know for myself i have been I have a lot of female friends and so statistically we're talking about one in four 
And that's only of the ones that are reported, you know, so majority of uh, women have probably experienced some type of abusive relationship at some point in their life on some level. Anytime that I've had people who are close to me who are going through cycles of abuse, I am vocal about, you know, this is not okay. This is not normal. You don't have to stand for this. You don't have to accept this. Uh, but I also have to do the dance of not overstepping too much because I know if I overstep, quote unquote, they're going to shut me out and I don't want them stuck with this person by themselves. So I have to do my best to give them these messages and give them that nudge and give them that guidance while still trying to not be so opposed to the point where they're going to isolate themselves from me because that's the worst thing that can happen. Because once it's, once it's, you're just stuck with your thoughts and this person that is controlling you, things get really dark. Things get really dark. And when you are isolating yourself, it makes it easier for the person controlling you to isolate you as well. They just have to reinforce the boundaries that you're holding around yourself. So this is why, you know, in that Stockholm Syndrome profile, people are going to have negative feelings about anyone that's trying to tear that down. A lot of times, if you are stuck in that you're going to have an attitude or turn away from people who are trying to pull you out of it. And I don't say this because I don't want you to feel like you're wrong or anything like that. Understand that you are the victim in the situation and the way that you are thinking is a symptom of you being victim of abuse. The person that is abusing or controlling you wants you to think that way so has been conditioning you and training you without your knowing to think in these types of patterns and i know that's a really big tough pill to swallow but it is the truth and i've had friends who have been in abusive situations and abusive relationships and some of which during the time that they're they're with this person they will stop talking to me you know they will be like oh i'm not because you're just negative, you know what I mean? You're just negative and you're just speaking negative about, you know, and I, I have to respect that because to their perspective, yeah, I am, I am speaking negative. I'm telling you that you need to leave. This is not a healthy situation for you. But when you're committed to staying and you're under the mind control of someone else, you're going to reject that idea. You're going to feel like I'm attacking you and you're going to feel like I'm attacking your your partner because you're considering considering the both of you as one unit. But it's I, I can stress over and over that it's important to understand that even though you have left the situation, your mind is still struggling with these patterns of thought. So it's going to take some time for you to free your mind from that that mindset. It's going to take some time for you to free your mind completely of that Stockholm Syndrome. I also want to jump really quickly into addressing the humanizing aspect. I don't say that to say that people who are abusive are not human because they very much are. But when you are looking at, if you're looking at abuse through a trauma lens, when it comes to domestic uh, disputes it typically is through a trauma lens you have to understand well i don't say you have to but it's in your best interest to understand the nature of this person's trauma that led to them being dangerous to you and to understand that if this abuse is truly a result of the trauma that means the person is still currently and actively living in that trauma 
if they're currently and actively being in the abuse. So when it comes to trauma, and we've talked about this on other episodes, typically what you want to understand is that trauma is a stuckness. It's, it's, a, it's a stunt. It's a stunting of growth. And whatever it was that impacted you on that level, you don't ever really grow past that place. Honestly, you don't really grow past the age that you experience that particular trauma. So when you're dealing with someone who is abusive, you're probably going to notice that their maturity level is stuck wherever their trauma happened. And when that is the active and present mindset of someone, you have to realize that you can't have adult expectations of someone who's stuck in the mindset of a child. You can't. You also can't reason and explain the behaviors of a child through the reasoning of an adult. Children do things for different reasons than adults do things, you know? And so you have to really see a person's nature. You have to see them for who they are. You have to see them for where they're at. Now, this does not mean that they don't deserve any level of help. It just begs the question, are you the person that is qualified and certified to help this person without hurting yourself? That's the that's the biggest that's the biggest conundrum right now. We have to understand that we cannot set ourselves on fire to keep other people warm. But when you've been a victim of abusive relationships, you're taught that it's your job and your obligation to set yourself on fire for the present for the preservation of this person who is controlling you. Every decision that you make in your life is supposed to be considerate and wrapped around the best interests of this person. And you're taught that because it's advantageous to the abuser, but you're also taught that because when you act in that manner, it saves you from being the um, receiving end of more violence and more abuse. This, this together is, this is the Stockholm syndrome effect. And so that's, that's a, that's a really important lesson. And I would also say that you can, instead of being the person that is providing intervention and providing help for this individual who is an abusive person, instead of being that go-to person, you can also offer resources to that person. You can say, hey, call this number, uh, text this phone number. This is ways that you can get help. If you're doing that and somebody is refusing to, to take those things as help, that means that they're going to refuse you helping them as well. If someone is, if you're handing someone resource, think, just think about this as a, just objectively, forget everything else that I said. Let's just think about this objectively. If you are a person that is abusive and you feel like you have no control over your body and your thoughts and you're abusing someone that you love and care about to the point that they're hurt, they're leaving and they left you by yourself now to deal with the monster inside of you. And that imagine that person reaches out to you and say, here, call this number. I want you to call this number. I care about you and I want you to get better. If you actually want to get better and you see something wrong, you're going to take that card and say, damn, I'm I'm grateful that you even gave me that card to call this number. And I'm definitely going to call this number because I don't have anybody else. Right. And I know that I want to change. But if you are saying I'm not calling that number, I'm not taking this advice, I'm not doing none of that. That means that you're not in a place to heal right now. So there's nothing that that person can actively do. Right. The only reason why you would be like, 
I'm not taking what you're giving me to help, but I want you to stick around to help me is because you still want that active sense of control over that person. You still want to feel like you're in that space of control. And like I said a couple of minutes ago, I'm not saying that abusers don't need help, but as with anybody, you can only receive the help when you're ready to receive it. If you're not ready to receive it, there's nothing that anybody can do to help you. You have to be willing to help yourself. And self-pity is not, that's not ready, that's not readiness to be helped. Understanding that there are resources out there that can get you from A to B and that you need to participate in these resources and do the work to get from A to B, that's being ready for help. But just simply being like, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm messed up and I'm like this because and that's not going to do it. One of the biggest barriers that stops people from accessing the help that they need is their moral distortion. Morally, even though they know that they're abusive or they know that they're manipulative, they feel like what they're doing is the right thing. So if you feel like you're acting in the right direction, you're not going to seek help that tells you to go in a different direction, right? It's the same thing as the beginning stages of this abusive relationship or the beginning stages of the Stockholm situation in Stockholm, uh, Sweden. In the beginning, you're isolated and you are thinking in the pattern that other people are your enemy if they're trying to pull you out of that isolation, right? So just take that into effect and understand that a person's perception on what they're doing and why they're doing it strongly has a determination on what type of help they're going to be able to receive. And so now that you're out of it, that's great. You've woken up from your nap and you're just in a great place. But this person has not woken up. Whatever they are stuck in, they're still actively stuck in it. Working with a person with particular skills like myself or a clinical profession like a doctor. The, these are people that have the, like the training to intervene, to stage an intervention inside of someone's mind, okay? When you come to group, this is what I'm doing in my sessions with you. When you book a session with me, a mental health session, this is what I'm doing in our sessions together. I am staging interventions with you, okay? Now, you know, you have to be ready to receive an intervention or you just going to straight up reject it. And sometimes people are just in that place of not ready to receive an intervention. They're just not. And the evidence of that is that if you hand a person resources for them to get help and tell them that you're going to be a so you you're you're going to be supportive of that and they refuse, then they're not ready. It's just remember a couple of episodes back we were I was telling y'all about my calm season. I think this was actually the last episode. I don't know, but I was saying that I don't waste my breath saying something if I know that where my words are going is is like it's not going to be received. If I tell you there's a better way of doing something and you refuse that better way or refuse to even explore that better way, it's because you're committed to your own ignorance. Wherever you're stuck at, you're, you're committed to being stuck there. You're comfortable there. You like it there. You feel like it's easy. You're familiar with it. I don't know. There's a lot of reasons why people would be committed to that. But not everybody's committed to growth. Not everybody's committed to change. The fact that you are a person that have gotten, realized that there was a problem and pulled yourself out of this situation, 
that shows that you're committed to growth, but that does not mean that everybody is committed to growth. Some people will die with the level of consciousness that they are at their worst at. I'm going to say that again. Some people will die with the level of consciousness that they are at their worst at. Some people will die in their lowest moments. Some people will stay in their lowest moments for 40 years. You know what I mean? Everyone is not committed to growing. Everyone is not committed to healing. Some people would prefer to stay at their lowest moment and just try to control the world around them to make themselves feel normal. That is actually how some people go through life. Therapy is not a thing for everybody. Mental health is not a thing for everybody. Change, resources, that stuff is not a thing for every single person. So you can't force that on somebody. But what you have to do is is ask yourself the question, are you prioritizing them over yourself? You know, are you learning from the experiences that you've been through? Are you applying what you've learned? Are you making room in your life for other healthy connections to take place? Let's say months or a year down the line, you meet someone who you think is actually a really good person and this will be a good partner for you. Have you prepared your life to welcome that person in or or is your connections with your abuser still so strong that it will make it an awkward situation for a new person in your life? You know what I mean? If you your concern for your kidnappers well-being, is that going to interfere with your ability to find a healthy relationship on your own? I will tell you from my if it was me, if it was me and I'm I meet someone that I want to develop a relationship with. If you've been in a, a toxic relationship where you were being controlled and manipulated and mistreated That's not a deal breaker for me. But if you're still reacting in certain patterns based on that relationship where you're still kind of seeking that person's approval, even though you're not with them, that's not I can't do that. That's not going to work with me. So I ask the question because when you are still jumping into that cycle, you're looking behind you, you're looking backwards instead of forwards, sometimes letting that go. And letting the cards fall where they're going to fall is the best way for you to move forward and open opportunities for other people to come in your life where you can have a relationship that is more healthy. And that is actually it feels good where you feel strong, you feel empowered. Focus on yourself. Focus on yourself. Some things are just not your business. There are people in this world who will not have it figured out. But that's but that's not your business, though. That's between them, themselves, them and God, them and their deem whatever they're whatever they're dealing with does not automatically have to become your problem. And also, you have your own stuff as well, right? You you it's not like you had a perfect life. You came with baggage as well. Are you un are you unpacking your baggage or are you unpacking their baggage? Like you can't unpack two two suitcases at once. So While you have the opportunity to be on your own and have a new chapter in your life, focus on packing your stuff. You should not have someone else's baggage living in your head rent free. I agree that there's something wrong with this person. Probably there's a history. That's fine. But why is that your problem? Why is that your thing? You have a life of your own. While and and this is something that 
I mentioned in a few episodes back when you're not thinking of, when you're not minding your business, who's minding it? Okay. And when we're talking about Stockholm syndrome or even finding yourselves in abusive and controlling the relationships, this is a prime example of you not minding your business and allowing someone else to mind your business for you. And now someone else has hired you to help them mind your business. You know what I'm saying? So focus on you, focus on self, focus on you. You cannot, there's nothing that you're going to be able to do to fix every single person. You can't. And honestly, when it comes to who is in control, you can actually only fix yourself. You can actually only work on you. You know what I mean? If someone's coming to you for help, think about, am I the person that is good for this situation? When we talk about um, crisis management, one thing that we learn in training is that before we go into any crisis situation, we ask the question, how am I feeling? Me as the provider, how am I feeling? Am I feeling like this is a space where I can hold it together and actually help? Am I feeling like this space is safe for me to intervene in? It's That's not always the case. That's not always the case. I will tell y'all that there has been a few times where I refuse to participate in helping or I refuse to participate in intervening because I knew that I wasn't the person to do that. It had nothing to do with my skills, my education, my competency. It had nothing to do with that. I just wasn't feeling it. I was I was too biased. I had my own feelings about it. Maybe the situation was triggering. Maybe I was in a vulnerable place in my life and this just was not the time for me to tackle this type of a project. That is totally okay. We are all human and we're not like, we're not machines. We are not machines. So understanding that, Someone needs help is a great first step, but you have to also understand that you're probably not the one to help this person. And I will also, well, I don't want to make this super long, but I will also finish things off by saying, if you have been manipulated and abused by someone, you are not the person, you are not the person that is best qualified to help them grow through that. You can't do that. When you are a a person's target for manipulation and abuse, you're basically their drug, right? And you can't give a a crackhead crack and, and expect them to not crave it anymore. You know what I mean? So if you are the, if you are the, the, the toy in someone's life, the best thing that you can do is remove yourself because to the best of your ability. I, I know there are some situations where you just can't completely remove yourself, but you have to excuse yourself from certain conversations because when you are that toy, even if you are trying to say things that are helpful or trying to be guiding and helpful, them looking at you alone is going to be enticing for them to jump back into their old ways. Abuse is is a, is an addiction. Abuse is an addiction. Abusers have an addiction problem. People who are serial abusers and serial manipulators, that's an addiction. And anytime you dangle a person's, if a person is an addict and you dangle the drug that they used last week in front of them, it's just going to excite them and want them to, um, or it's going to make them want to use more. 
you being present in that emotional space for someone who has a, a an abuse problem is just going to excite that coping skill. It's just going to make them want to do it more. So you have to really hold that firm boundary with yourself. And if this, if it is a situation and this is not, I know that there's people out here listening that can relate. Do you hear me? I can count on my fingers and toes how many people are in this exact situation or have been in this exact situation. If you're in a situation where you are co-parenting, I understand. And I'm, I would never take, uh, take the authority to tell someone not to co-parent. I, I, that's not my space. That is not my place to even say that. That is up to you and you alone. But what I will say is if you are putting yourself in a position where there has to be some type of, you know, um, some type of decency between the two of you for the sake of a child, you have to outline with yourself what the firm emotional boundaries are. You cannot share space with someone who is dangerous emotionally to you. Remember, people have highs, people have lows. But you cannot put yourself in that hell and hot water anymore. So the co-parenting has to be limited to a functional routine, not an emotional investment. You should not have emotional investment in that person and that person should not have emotional investment in you. There's no reason for that bridge to be there. Burn that one. That bridge needs to be burned. Now, how you function for the sake of the child's, you know, test, uh, texting or drop off locations and whatever the case may be. I understand that. I still say be smart about that, but I understand that. But you need to disconnect your intimate self from the, the, the thoughts, the, the history and the well-being of someone who has made a mission to destroy and break you down. They don't deserve that type of consideration for you and they wouldn't even know what to do with it if they had it because truth of the matter more than likely the reason why you stayed in that relationship was because you were giving them that consideration and they didn't know what to do with it i know that that's a that's a lot okay i know that that's a lot to take in and i know that that's a lot to hear but it's the reality and it's the truth and i'm saying this from a place of love i'm not saying this from a place of critique i'm saying this from a place of love because i want you to grow anyone that's listening to this that is and i've said this before anyone that's listening to the group sessions we're you're listening to this because you want to grow this is not just a podcast that you just tune in to hear about bullshit or the latest gossip or what you're listening to the and this is also not a podcast that you're listening to because you want to hear about people talk about how important mental health is but not how to repair your mental health not you you're not looking for this is not a mindless podcast people are listening to this podcast for a reason okay and so when i say things if you feel seen it's because the the, the session itself is working if you feel like disarmed it's because the session is effective it's because the session is working you want to you you have to feel that discomfort in order to grow through it you got to go through it so you got to go through it to get through it you know, so I'm going to leave you guys with that. I know that today was pretty heavy, but 
thank you guys for kicking it and staying with me and tuning into today's session. That brings us to the end of our session. And I hope that you know that you've done amazing today and opening up your mind um, and your heart and your body, opening up to these perspectives on cycle of abuse and manipulative thought. I've been your mental health coach for today. And this is the group sessions podcast. And until next time, I will catch y'all in the next episode. Peace.